Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I want to start out with a story uh, that I ran across. Uh, just, I've been thinking about it all week, and just uh, I love the image of this. So just kind of let this paint a picture in your head. It comes from an author and sociologist uh, called uh, Tony Campolo. Uh, anyway, he flew to Hawaii to speak at a conference, and the way he tells it, he checks into his big hotel to get some sleep. Unfortunately, because of the jet lag, his internal clock wakes him up dead awake at like 3 a.m. And so he finds himself sitting there. The rest of Honolulu is sleeping and he is wide awake and his stomach is rumbling. And so he's hungry and he thinks, you know what? I could go for a big old breakfast, bacon, eggs. I'll get, I'll get the early breakfast. It'll be fine. I'll stay awake. It'll keep me awake for the day. And so he starts wandering through the streets looking for some place uh, where he can, he can grab a breakfast at three o'clock in the morning. Well, the only place he can find is this sort of grungy, greasy spoon back alley kind of place he stumbles into, walks in, looks around, and uh, the, uh, the, the big guy behind the counter says, what do you want? And he said, at this point, I've sort of lost my appetite a little bit. And he said, he said, sort of spying the counter, I see a donut case. And I think, well, I'll just have a donut and a black cup of coffee, uh, and that'd be great. He said, as he sits there munching on his donut and sipping his coffee at 3.30 on the dot in walk, eight or nine provocative, loud prostitutes just finished their night's work. They plop down at the counter and Tony finds himself surrounded uncomfortably by this group of smoking, swearing hookers, as he calls them. He says he gulps his coffee, planning to make a quick getaway. When all of a sudden he hears this woman next to uh, him say to her friend, you know what? Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. To which her friend nastily replies, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? Huh? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? And the first woman says, oh, come on. Why do you have to be so mean? I would, I'm, I'm not expecting anything from you. I'm just saying it's my birthday. I don't want anything. I mean, why should I have a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in the last 39 years. Why should we start now? Well, when Tony hears that, he kind of made a decision in his own soul. He sat and he waited until the women left. And then he asked the big guy behind the counter, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right here, the one that was sitting right next to me, she comes in here every night? Yeah, that's Agnes, he said. Agnes has come in every night for years. Why do you want to know? Because she just said that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you think? Do you think we could throw her a little birthday party right here in the diner? A cute kind of smile crept over the, the, uh, the chubby cheeks of this guy. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, he said, I like it. He turns to the kitchen and shouts to his wife, hey, come on out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow is Agnes's birthday and he wants to throw her a birthday party right here. His wife comes out and says, that's terrific. She said, you know, Agnes is super nice. She's always looking for ways to help and to serve other people. And nobody ever does anything nice for her. And so they make their plans. Tony says that he'll be back the next night at 2.30 in the morning. Uh, he'll bring the decorations. And the man behind the counter, whose name is Harry, says that he'll make the cake. So at 2.30 the next morning on the dot, Tony's back with crepe paper and balloons and, and a big sign made out of cardboard that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. They decorate the place from one end to the other, and it's looking awesome. Harry had gotten the word out uh, on the street that there was a party happening, and by 3.15, uh, it seemed that every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. <laughs> at 3.30 on the dot, the bell, you know, the, the bell goes, the door swings open, and in walks Agnes and her friends. 
Tony had everybody ready. And so they shout and scream, happy birthday, Agnes. And Agnes is absolutely flabbergasted. She's stunned. Her mouth falls open. Her knees start to buckle and give out. She almost falls over. And then when the birthday cake with all the candles is carried out, she totally loses it. Now she's sobbing and crying. Harry, who's not used to seeing prostitutes cry and go on like this, sort of mumbles out, blow out the candles, Agnes, and cut the cake. (laughs) So she pulls herself together enough to blow out the candles. Everybody cheers and goes crazy, and they start yelling, cut the cake, cut the cake, Agnes. But Agnes sort of looks down at the cake and tears are again are, are puddling in her eyes. And without taking her eyes off of the cake slowly and softly, she says, look, look, Harry, is it all right if, uh, I mean, if you don't, I mean, what I want to ask is, would, would it be okay if I kept the cake for a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Well, Harry doesn't know what to say. And so he shrugs and says, sure. I mean, if that's what you want to do, keep the cake, take it home if you want. Oh, could I? She said. Looking at Tony, she says, I I live just a couple of houses down. I just want to take the cake home and take a picture if that's okay. I'll be right back, honest. So she gets off uh, her stool. She picks up the cake and carries it carefully out the door like it's the Holy Grail or something. Everybody watches in stunned silence. And when the door closes behind her, nobody knows what to do. Right? So, so they kind of look around to, to, to everybody that's there. They look at uh, the, the uh, chef that's behind the counter. Then they look at Tony. And so Tony gets up on a chair and he says, what do you say we pray together? (laughs) And so right there and then at this hole in the wall, greasy spoon, half full of prostitutes, you know, pretty much all the prostitutes in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning, Tony starts praying for Agnes, for her life and for her health, for her salvation. Tony recalls, I prayed for that her life would be changed, that God would be gracious to her, pour out his love and his goodness on her, that kind of thing. And when he finished, Harry leans over and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, you never told me you were a preacher, man. <laughs> he said, what kind of church do you belong to anyway? He said, in one of those moments when just the right words come, he said, Tony said to him quietly, I belong to a church that throws parties for prostitutes at three o'clock in the morning. He ends by saying, uh, Harry ends up saying, you know, no, you don't. Because if you did, he's like, there aren't no churches like that. He said, if you did, if there was, I'd belong to it. I was thinking about that this week and just thinking, man, I want that image to sort of stick in our heads a little bit. Uh, It sounds extreme. It sounds crazy. It maybe goes against all of our gut instincts. But I'll tell you what, friends, I think that's the picture of what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. Men and women, boys and girls that love Jesus, that are passionate about him, love him with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, and men and women and boys and girls that also love those that are on the fringe and love those people that are poor and love those people that are outcasts and reach out to them and show them God's love and point them back home to a God that loves them. That's the picture I want us to think about. You may, it may not be the picture that's popular in culture or in society. It may not be the picture that's popular in Christian circles, right, that we think about. But I'll tell you what, that, I think you'll see today, that's what the Bible, that's the picture the Bible paints of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Well, we are on our uh, fifth week of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called Passionate Christianity. And throughout this series, we're sort of looking at what it means to live our lives as a disciple or as a follower of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. And we've been defining that word disciple by the passions that exist in disciples' lives. These aren't just short-term feelings or emotions. They are values and sort of priorities that get lived out over the long haul in our lives. And so we've been looking at the passions of a Christ follower and what it looks like. And we've been kind of evaluating our own lives along the way. The first week, right, we talked about the foundation, which is probably 90% of this deal. If we don't get this one right, then we have missed everything, right? We've missed it all. But we said the, the primary passion of a Christ follower is Christ, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a love and a passion and a wholehearted commitment and focus on Jesus. It's a, it's a desire to be with him and to follow him and to worship him and to know him and to, you know, everything in life gets filtered through this. And we said, man, if you are not getting that one right, then we're missing it. Then we might be, if we're missing that piece, then we might be church attenders and we might be cultural Christians, but we're not followers of Jesus, right? Because that's what it means. That's literally what a disciple means is to be a passionate follower of Jesus. The second week we talked about kind of taking that next step and said, not only uh, are our disciples, men and women, boys and girls that have a passion to follow Jesus, but they also have a passion that other people would get to know and follow and experience Jesus too. So they have a passion for the mission of Jesus that that the whole world would get to know Christ. The third week we talked about the disciples are, are also men and women that have a passion for becoming like Christ, right? Not just going to church, not just mouthing the right words, but they have a passion to see their lives aligned, that they would become more and more and more like Jesus. They want to live their lives by this book. They want to live their lives by his spirit, right? They want to become like Jesus. And we looked at all kinds of different scriptures and said, man, that's, that is God's heart for us. It's part of what happens when we set him as our number one priority and gaze and passion in life, that we're going to naturally want to become like, remember we talked about Michael Jordan. Remember we said in that back in the Michael Jordan era, everybody wanted to be like Mike. It's the same kind of picture, right? Uh, when we set Jesus as our number one aim in life, we want to be like Jesus. We want to imitate him. It's a natural overflow. Last week, we talked about that disciples are, are people, men and women, boys and girls that have a passion uh, to serve. And specifically, we talked about serving in the body of Christ, serving in the church, the local church, the broader church. We want to see God's kingdom and God's priorities realized. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see people grow up in Christ. And we do that by doing our contribution, our part. We talked about the fact that God has given each Every person that's a, that's a follower of Jesus, he has put a spiritual gift. He has put talents and abilities uh, inside of you that are to be used for his purposes. And we can't quite accomplish the whole work of Christ, what the, the plans that he has for us without you. You have a unique and distinct role and it is absolutely essential that you're in the game, that you're playing your part. Today, I'm going to continue, but it's take a little different focus. We're going to talk about serving again, but instead of, instead of serving inside the church this week, we're going to talk about serving outside the church and specifically serving those that, that the Bible refers to as the least. And that, that the least of these sort of refers to those that are poor, living in poverty, those that are hurting in need at the fringes outside, uh, that kind of a thing, coming alongside and giving and loving and serving and doing and praying in everything we can to make a difference in the lives of those that are in need. 
Now, I have to say, this is one of those areas uh, that has been, in all honesty, kind of neglected in in much of the American church. It's something that we kind of tag on on the side here and there, but it's one of those things that we kind of think, yeah, I can be a disciple without that, right? Like, I mean, if I'm in church on a fairly regular basis, a couple times a month maybe, and I I open up my Bible sometimes, right, and I come to church and I sing the right songs, and maybe I I throw up a prayer or two during the day, we think, I'm I'm a disciple, I'm a follower of Jesus, Enough said, right? Uh, but but I, I'll tell you what, friends. Uh, while it may get ignored uh, by many churches, it is not the least bit ignored in the Bible. In fact, if you listen to this, the Bible talks more about the poor and about followers of Jesus impacting the poor. It talks more about the poor than it does about faith, hope, and love combined. 2,100 places in the Old and New Testaments, 2,100 places, followers of Jesus are, are given instructions about how to care for, interact, and love on the poor. It is a huge deal. It's, a, it's an enormous part of God's heart. And if we miss it, I th- we're going to look at a bunch of scriptures today. If we miss this, God has some really harsh things to say, right? If we miss it, in fact, I think you'll see, uh, I think you'll see from these scriptures, if we miss it, then I'm not sure we're a disciple. If if we're not seeing that heart and that compassion and that life lived to, to impact and make a difference in the lives of those around us that are in need, I'm not so sure we're worshiping when we're here on Sunday. I'm, according to God, right? I'm not so sure we're living our lives as disciples. I'm not so sure we're, we're, we're in the kingdom. I'm not, I'm not trying to make a works-based salvation thing here. We'll talk about that later. But, but it's that significant throughout the pages of God's book. There's some jaw-dropping kinds of scriptures. And today, I am, I've got one point. <laughs> and, and you're just gonna, I'm, I'm, we're gonna hear it over and over. I'm gonna go through all 2,100 <laughs> verses. No, I'm kidding. No, no we're not. But I, I just want us, to, I want us to look at just a handful of these scriptures, more than we usually would. But I, wanna, I want us to just hear the heart of God in this deal. I'll stop and make a few comments here and there, but I mostly want God to speak for himself. And I want you to hear how significant this is. And I'm just trying to build the case of like, man, if you and I want to live our lives as God intended, if we, if we really do claim to be followers of Jesus, if our desire is to, to live our lives as passionate followers of Jesus, then we will care for the poor. I guarantee it. Because it's God's heart, it's God's call, it's God's command, it's God's dream for his people. Always has been from the beginning to the end. Always has been that they would, they would care for and love on and make a difference in the lives of those who need it most. You with me? That's where we're going. I've, in these scriptures, I've done, not flawlessly, but I've tried to, uh, to just quickly underline uh, the places where there's command uh, there's, where there's a commander where it's referring to, hey, hey, church, hey, disciples, hey, followers of Jesus, hey, God followers, hey, whatever. But hey, you're called to go and make a difference in the poor. So I've underlined those and then I've uh, changed the color of the font or whatever you call that, highlighted or whatever. Um, those, those places that are kind of like benefits, right? Because it's amazing the kind of benefits that, that God puts, uh, that combines with those that actually care for the poor, kind of the upsides or the, the, uh, the rewards or whatever word you want to use on that. So that's kind of where we're going. Are we back up? Hey, all right. So here's, 
here's where we're going to start. There's some, a bunch of Proverbs. We're going to kind of move through those pretty quickly. Proverbs 14.31 says this, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. I read that this week and just thought, man, I wonder how often I have shown contempt for my maker because I didn't do anything to help the poor. I wonder how often we as the church have shown contempt for our maker because we've been trained and we have, you know, we've chosen it, but we've also been trained this way to just walk by without ever, without ever noticing them, without ever making eye contact, without ever, and we've walked right by and we have shown contempt for our maker. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says this, whoever is kind to the poor lends to, is it the poor? Lends to the Lord. And he will, it says, reward them for what they have done. God will, the living God says, he will reward his people when they are kind to the poor, when they lend to the poor. Let's go on. Verse 28, 27 says, uh, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Right? So there's sort of blessing and reward for those who are generous towards and serve and love and help the poor. And likewise, the opposite is also true. He says there are curses for those who don't. Can there be a collective gulp in the room? Right? It's like, whoa. I mean, this is a big deal. James 2, 14 through 17 says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? The implied answer, by the way, is... Mm, not so much. Suppose a brother, or this is the example he gives. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by deeds or by action, is dead. It's the expression of faith. They're saying real faith is always going to have expression. And what example does he give? He gives the example of taking care of the poor, taking care of people that need food, that need clothing, that need lodging, that need whatever, people that are in need. If you are well-meaning but don't actually do anything towards those that are in need, he says your faith is useless, it's pointless, it's dead. One more, this this next one comes from Matthew 25. Jesus here is telling a story. It's known as the parable of the sheep and the goats. For the sake of time, I'm just gonna gonna kind of read a section of it. But he's he's going through and he's he's talking about and painting a picture of what it's gonna be like at the end of time. When Jesus comes back, when he returns, he says he will sit on the throne and he will separate those who are headed for heaven from those who are headed for hell. And he will separate them like a shepherd may separate sheep from goats. He'll put sheep on one side, he'll put the goats on the other. And, and the crazy part about this parable is when you go through and you look for the differences, like how can, you, how can you spot them? How can you recognize the sheep? What's the difference that you see in the lives of the sheep versus what you see in the lives of the goats, of those who don't know Christ? And there's only one thing that comes through in the story. Listen to this. It's Matthew 25, 34 through 40. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, I, basically, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. He says, when you, were, when you were helping the homeless person, when you were visiting the sick person, when you were throwing a birthday party for that prostitute, you were actually doing it for me, Jesus says. You were throwing a birthday party for me. You were giving a meal to me, Jesus is saying. He's saying in a very real, in a very tangible way, what you and I do, the ways that we care about the poor, translates into direct action, right, in service to Jesus. And there's blessing associated with it, right? There's inheritance that comes. There's reward that gets expressed as a result. Now, let's be clear again. Is Jesus here teaching that we will end up in heaven based on our good works? That we can, if we take care of the poor on our own, that we will one day end up in heaven? Is that what Jesus is teaching? No, right? Over and over and over and over and over and over throughout the pages of God's book, he makes it abundantly clear. There's no way, right? There's no way you can ever be good enough to earn your way to heaven. But what Jesus is saying is he saying, if you want to look at a follower of Jesus and you want to look at a person that, uh, that makes a difference, that serves and loves and makes a difference in the lives of those who are, who are poor or who are marginalized or who are on the outside, they are the same, right? There is no such thing as one without the other. They always go together. If you see in your life that there is no expression of care for the poor, if you look in your checkbook and you see nothing, no sort of expression of caring for those that need it most, if you look at your calendar and see no expression of that, then according to Jesus, you should stop and take a long, hard look because they always go together. Disciples are men and women, boys and girls, that yes, of course, first and foremost, have a passion for Jesus, but that passion gets translated into compassion for the poor every time. It always does. And if that is missing, we should stand back and take a look because we're not so sure that we're disciples. You with me? Can you see it? Do you see it in the story? It's not, this isn't just Russ saying this, right? This is God. This is what God's saying 2,100 times throughout the pages of his book. Reminds me of a story uh, I read a while back about Bob Pierce, who's the founder of World Vision. It's an international Christian relief agency that feeds millions and millions and millions of uh, hungry, starving children around the world. It's one that we've uh, partnered with for a decade or more. But anyway, Bob, uh, towards the end of his life, he had uh, advanced leukemia, super painful, deadly, obviously, disease. Um, and it was, he was down to his last months. It was eating um, his body away. And nevertheless, he had this sense that uh, he needed to go and visit a friend uh, in, where is this? Indonesia, I think. Yeah, Indonesia, before he died. And so he went and visited this friend. They were walking through uh, a small village and they came upon a young girl who was lying on a bamboo mat next to a river. She was dying of cancer too and had only a short time to live. 
Bob was indignant. He was ticked at this point. He demanded to know why she wasn't in a clinic, why she wasn't getting medical care. But his friend explained that, you know, she was from the jungle and she wished to spend her last days by the river where it was cool and peaceful and familiar. As Bob gazed at her, he felt such compassion that he got down on his knees in the, in the mud. He took her hand and he began stroking it softly. Although she didn't understand him, he prayed for her. And afterwards, she looked up and she said something. But she didn't understand. He said, what did she say? Bob asked his friend. And his friend replied, she said, if only I could sleep again, if only I could sleep again. You see, the disease, cancer, was so painful for her that it was robbing her of her sleep every night. She was sitting there restless and just in pain day and night. Bob began to weep. He reached into his pocket and took out his own sleeping pills, the ones that the doctors had given to him because pain from his leukemia was too great for him to sleep at night as well. He handed the bottle to his friend. He said, you make sure this young lady gets a good night's sleep, he said, as long as these pills last. Bob was 10 days away from any place where he could get that prescription refilled. This meant 10 painful and restless nights for him. That day serving those in need cost him greatly. But even in the midst of his suffering, God infused him with a supernatural sense of satisfaction, knowing that he had just served Jesus. That he had, by, by serving and helping this, this poor and dying young girl, he had just served Jesus. Because that's what Christ's followers do. Because, because that is so much a part of God's heart. Christ followers, disciples of Jesus are men and women that are moved to compassion, that stop and care. But it's not, they, don't, they don't stop with just a feeling. They're moved to compassion and they take action, right? And they do something to minister to and help and to serve those that need it most. That's the picture. One more uh, big passage, and then I got an, uh, another short one that I'll share in a little bit. But Isaiah 58, uh, this is just a crazy picture, uh, and I want you to hear it. It says, shout it loud and don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to their descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and had not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it, God? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? Yet on the day of their fasting, on the day of your fasting, excuse me, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And in striking each other with wicked fists, you cannot fast as you do and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for you to humble yourselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? What's the implied answer, by the way? No. He says this, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Let me pause there for just a second. 
and just say, I mean, this, this is the picture. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about worship. He's talking about fasting, which is always goes, is a part of worship and is a part of prayer, right? He's saying, if we are worshiping and fasting and praying, but we're not dealing with these other issues of poverty and injustice, then God says, then you and I are not really worshiping. It's not worship that's acceptable to God, he says. Because disciples of Jesus Christ are those that are passionate about Jesus, of course, they're putting him first, but they're also passionate about the poor, about serving and making a difference in the lives of those that are poor, marginalized, in need, on the fringe, and whatever. I read this week, fascinating, and just was reminded that in the New Testament, the word for worship and the word for service are the same Greek word. They're interchangeable. If we are worshiping with our lips, but not serving with our lives, then we have not worshiped. The two go together. They're the same idea, the same word. When we worship, we worship on Sundays, yes, but we also worship on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays as we live for God, as we carry out God's commands, as we express God's heart to those around us. That, according to the, to the Bible, is worship. That is worship too. This is cool. Let me just kind of go on. So, so he's painting this whole picture and saying, man, if, you, if you're worshiping with your lips, but you're not paying attention to the poor and those that are in need, you're not worshiping. And then he ends by saying this, but if you do, he's saying, right? It, those, when your lips and your lives align together in worship and you're, you're caring for the poor and you're living this stuff out, he says, then in verse eight, next slide. There. He says, then, right, your light will break forth like the dawn. Then your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of fingers and the malicious talk, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, He says, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairers of broken walls and restorers of streets and dwellings. I mean, I love this, the picture of God's heart and God's dream there. God's people are to be known as rebuilders, he said, repairers and restorers of what has been damaged or destroyed or is in need. God's people are to care for the poor and for issues of injustice. They are to care for the hungry and the traveler without shelter and uh, those without adequate clothing or housing. And as we do so, he says, your light will break forth. God's healing will appear. Your answers to prayer will be swift and abundant. The Lord's guidance will be plentiful and he will satisfy your needs like a well-watered garden. I love the image of that. A well-watered garden. What does a well-watered garden look like? Lush. What was some others? Beautiful. Anybody else? Abundant, right? Fruitful, on and on. He said, it's gonna be awesome. That's how life is meant to be lived. As we connect with Christ, as we continue to grow in him, allow his spirit to renew us and to make us more like Jesus, God will move our hearts in the direction of those that need it most. 
serving the poor, helping the widows and orphans, being a voice to those who have none, serving those who need it, helping those that are enslaved find freedom and new life in Christ, helping those that have no family to feel loved and and be welcomed into a new family as church. We serve Jesus by serving those in need. It's not just a one and done thing. It's not a, just a one time a year thing. It's not a, just a guilt thing. Like we check it off a list and we're like, well, that relieves the guilt long enough that I can kind of go on with my life. And then maybe sometime in the future when I feel guilty again, I'll, I'll okay, I'll do it. They say, no, man, this is where the good stuff is. He's like, are you kidding me? When we live our lives with a passion for Jesus, right? And, and, and our worship of him and our passion for him leaks out in how we treat others and his mission and his heart for the poor and the needy. When we live that stuff, how we are like a well-watered garden. We come to life. We will see Jesus everywhere, right? We'll start recognizing his presence and him busting in as we lift up our voices and pray for those things and and pray for the needs around us and and whatever he's saying, you're gonna see answers like you've never known before. It's where the good stuff is at. Not just a one-time thing. This is how we are to live our lives because disciples of Jesus. Are you tired of the point yet? Disciples of Jesus are men and women and boys and girls that live with a passion for the poor. I wonder how you're doing on this one. I wonder how I'm doing on this one. Would our lives and our checkbooks and our calendars and everything else reflect that we really are disciples of Jesus or not? One more, one more scripture I'll share quickly and then we've got some application. We'll be done for the day. I thought this, this one was interesting, just had some good instructions, I think, for us, especially this week. First Timothy, this is the apostle Paul writing to a young apprentice, a young sort of pastor and, and teacher and disciple of, of, uh, of Jesus. He says this, command those in the church who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Can I hit the pause button for, for a second? Half the world lives on $2 a day or less, right? Like several billion people live on $2 a day or less. So keeping that in mind, who are the rich? Yeah, we don't like to say that because <laughs> they're like, that has some serious implications. But it's true, right? I mean, he, he would be, if we, if Paul was writing a letter to us, he would be talking to us. He's saying, command those who are rich in this present age, command those who have savings, who have ca- two cars. That puts you in elitist category that have a home with more than, uh, you know, a 10 by 10 shack with a metal roof on it. If you live in something bigger than that, you're rich, in this present age. Command those who are rich in this present age not to put their hope in wealth and stuff and money, which we do, I might add. Don't put your focus there. Don't set your hearts there, but put your hope in God. Set your focus on Jesus, right? That's the good stuff. That's where the security comes from. That's where the good stuff comes from. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says, command those who are rich, who command us to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
I have to say, I love the passage. I love the way he frames that. We're commanded to put our hope in God and not in stuff and money. We're commanded to do good towards those around us, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to give and to share of ourselves, our stuff, our resources, our food, whatever with those that are in need. And God says, if you do that, you will lay up for yourselves treasure and you will set a firm foundation for heaven and you will take hold of the life that is truly life. Friends, there is blessing, there is reward from God, there is real life in store for us as we fix our eyes first and foremost on Jesus and then we align our lives with him, right? Making sure that his priority and his heart for serving the poor, for helping those that are in need, for being moved to compassion is getting lived out in our lives. When we do those things, there's life. There's the good stuff. A few application points will be done. Obviously, right? The first, first thing I'm going to hit this week is it's faith in action week, right? This is, this is the, big, the big one. One of the reasons we do this is because we want to give everybody in the church, 100% of our people, an opportunity to at least step in and experience serving those that have need in our community. There are a ton of needs in our community, are there not? Man, just this week, uh, just a couple houses down from uh, my mom, uh, there lives here in town, um, yeah, not, not too far from like War Memorial kind of area. There was an explosion. A house blew up like that. The, the complete house is gone. I mean, everything. It just blew up and, uh, and whatever else. I'm telling you, there's homeless people, right? There's, there's people right there that are in need. There are tons of people that live in our area that are homeless, legit. There are tons of people that live on very, very, very minimal uh, incomes in our area. There, there are people that have lost husbands and sons and wives and moms and dads and whatever else. We've helped all kinds of people over the years. We've got, I don't know, eight, nine, ten different service projects, which isn't going to help the whole of Peoria, but it's a broad cross-section of ways that we can come along people who need help and serve. We get to serve Jesus by serving them. We get to worship with our lives and with our words next Sunday. We want 100% of people to, to be a part. Where we've got everything from, I think we've got, is it 48 spots that we've got for uh, changing uh, oil on single mom's uh, cars. And so we get to serve them by changing oil. We've got a hospitality team that's gonna love on their kids and on these, on these uh, single moms and just, I mean, just encourage them and bless them and talk with them and love on them and you know, on and on and on. We've got a free car wash that we're gonna do for those moms and anybody else that wants to come by. Again, we get to serve people and love people, uh, serve God by, by serving people. It's gonna be cool. We've got, uh, Molly mentioned the uh, Harrison Homes thing. Man, I'll tell you what, that's a, that is a very low income um, uh, housing kind of thing. It's subsidized housing uh, on kind of south side of Peoria, I guess you'd say, kind of edge of downtown or whatever. Um, but, uh, but it's a great opportunity. We had a service project there maybe two or three years ago. I can't remember. It was one of the best ones we've ever done. It was awesome. And we have a, the privilege to come uh, and work alongside. I mean, the, the people, we called up uh, Harrison Homes and said, hey, how can we help? How can we serve? What, how can we make a difference? And they gave us these, this project. It's going to require quite a few people. But they were so excited that we were going to come that they've actually invited some of their, uh, some of their, uh, volu- or some of their employees to come and serve alongside. They've sent this postcard out to the, uh, 
the residents to come alongside. We get to serve with them and get to, get to, uh, to love on and help uh, people that really could use it. And, and as well, we get to give kids ice cream and stuff too as a way just to bless and to encourage and to love on people that need it. It's, it's a little thing, but it'll, it could make a big difference. So we'd encourage it, man, it, Great opportunities there. We're, we're uh, helping some a family that's got uh, kids with disabilities. It's a really neat way to kind of love on them. We're helping, uh, there's a guy in a wheelchair that needs help with his deck and wheelchair ramp and that kind of thing. We're going to be helping that. We're, we're doing some yard work uh, in some sunny land, parts of sunny land that, that think that could be really cool. Um, I'm trying to think. Anything else I'm missing? There's more, but uh, I mean, we've got, the, uh, the whole idea is we've got opportunities for everybody. Find one that sort of fits who you are. Find one that sort of you feel passionate about. Find one that could use some, some people to serve and get involved. We want, uh, it really, it's our goal to have 100% of our people sign up. And so if you are here and you haven't signed up, please do so today. It's a great opportunity. It'll be super fun. We're gonna not have a regular church service next week here, but we will instead meet here in the live be at 8.30 on Sunday morning. Uh, we've got Project for Kids, I should mention. They're making packets for homeless uh, people. Great opportunity. I mean, people of all ages, all, all different kinds of skill levels. Find one that, that's, that fits you. Sign up today. Okay, if that's first application step. Second one, we're doing something kind of different with the homeless packets this year. Rather than, In the past, we've taken those and given them to, what's it called? Dream Center, and uh, they've kind of given them out to some homeless people um, from there. Uh, we're doing it a little differently this year. Instead of giving them to a third-party agency, we're going to actually give them to you. And so we're, our kids are going to help us make um, these packets of stuff, and they'll have like everything from like bus uh what do you call it, fare tickets, whatever, the, the uh, passes uh, from that to socks, to food, to all, all different kinds of things that they might need um, and things that we've been told that would be great to help homeless people. We're going to ask you to put those in your car, put those in your trunk. Not, it doesn't have anything chocolatey or melty or anything like that, but we're going to ask you to keep those with you and be praying and looking. So often we are conditioned to look away from people that are homeless, like don't make eye contact, right? If, if, if I make eye contact, then I'll feel weird or bad about helping them or not helping them kind of thing. And so we'll just, we're kind of preconditioned to ignore them. Instead, we're going to say, what if we as a church intentionally move towards them, <laughs> right? What if we, if each one of us would say, you know, we're going to start praying that God would give us an opportunity to connect with somebody that maybe doesn't have a home right now. And so when we see them, maybe if you're able to kind of pull over, you know, kind of go out and say, you know what, uh, just wanted to, to give this to you. We, we're doing this as a church and we want you to know that God's crazy about you. And this is just a, a small way we can just say, we love you. We're for you. And so is God. Give it to him. Imagine that. Is that not cool? You just serve Jesus, right? That's a, that's a, a total cool opportunity. So maybe that's something. I, I hope 100% of us do that as well. We'll have those available probably the next week. I mean, so not next Sunday, but probably the week after and maybe the week after that as well. We'll have some opportunities for you to pick those up, take them with you, do that kind of a thing. Uh, but again, we don't want it to be just a one-time-a-year thing, so we also offer different opportunities throughout the year. Right now, we're probably offering five or six in the upcoming year uh, opportunities where we will partner with places like Southside Mission or, uh, or the food, uh, uh, loaves and fish or Midwest food bank. Some of those kinds of things. We do these every year. We do them a couple of times a year. Um, 
where we get to actually prepare meals and package food and do all kinds of things that really can make a difference in our region. And so maybe, maybe you need to set a goal of saying, yeah, I'm, I'm totally signing up for Sunday, but I don't want it to just stop there. And so I'm going to make it my goal to sign up for a couple more of those uh, this fall and, and maybe into the winter that I want, it, I want this to start becoming a regular habit, something that, that just we do as a church and something that we do as a family, we do as individuals. So maybe you need to take a step like that and maybe, um, okay, two more, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Lots of application this week. But one, another thing, we, we've started this partnership with Glen Oak Schools. Um, and so uh, we, they'll take help in any way possible. It's one of the lower income schools in our area. It's on the East Bluff. And they are looking for people that can come in and can just love on kids. Some that can come in maybe over the lunch hour. And, uh, and they, they just said, we'll buy you lunch. <laughs> it's, a, it's a school lunch, but <laughs> we'll buy you lunch. But if you could just come in and sit down, we'll give you a tag and everything so they know you're legit. And, and the kids will just come around you because so many of our kids don't have adults that will talk to them and listen to them. And they will talk your ears off. And they said, man, that would serve us so well. You know what? There's, there's some of us in the room that the Holy Spirit's nudging and saying, you should do that. They're, they're looking for reading buddies, right? People that will go in and just read to kids and read with kids and listen to kids read and some of that kind of stuff. You know what? We have an opportunity and a privilege to do that. Maybe that'll be something that God will, God will nudge you to do. And, and, and finally, well, of course, we want you to be a part of what we're doing as a church there's also probably some individuals that are out there, individuals that we know nothing about, I don't know, uh, that I'll probably never know, but you know. And God has put you in their lives for a reason. And maybe they've lost a job. Maybe they've lost a family member. Maybe there's just hard things going on. Maybe there's people in your neighborhood that are just going through a rough time that the truth be told, they can't afford groceries this week. And maybe the living God is gonna start nudging you and saying, you know what? My heart is that you would go to them, that you would help, that you would serve, that you would love, that you would come over with a couple bags of groceries and just love on them. That you would, whatever, that you'd make a difference in their life. Friends, this is the good stuff. It's the heart of God. It's the vision of our church. It's the calling of every disciple of Jesus Christ. It's the path of blessing. And it's a huge part of loving our neighbor. It's an opportunity to store up treasure in heaven and to take hold of the life that is truly life. Would you do it? Would you take those steps? Would you take some steps this week to express that and to live this out and say, you know what? I want to live my life as a disciple, as a passionate follower of Jesus. Let's close in prayer. God, that's our cry this morning. Lord, forgive us for, um, honestly, just forgive us for making our lives too much about us, too much about our needs and our wants and our desires, too much about me, 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 and not enough about you and your heart and your plans and your vision. Would you forgive us and cleanse us and wash us? Father, I thank you that you have been so gracious and generous to us. You've been gracious and generous by pouring out your life for us, by giving the best that you had, your son, Jesus, so that we can have life, so that we can know blessing, so that we can know your great love. God, pour out that grace on us, but let it not be without effect. God, would your passion and your compassion and your love for us spill over in our love and our compassion to those around us that are in need and hurting and broken, far from you, those that 
help more than anything else. God, give us your love. Give us your grace. God, we long to and desire to be men and women and boys and girls that live our lives as your disciples, as your followers. Would you come and do a work in us, spur us on, open our eyes to see the opportunities you're giving us every day around us and give us courage and boldness, give us generosity of heart and life to take action and do something. We pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in me and in us.